0: good to be together with you all. It's good to worship, hear your voices. It's good to fellowship and excited to look into God's Word today with you. Uh, We are in James for a few more weeks, covering just one verse today. James 5.12, if you want to turn there. The title of our series through James is Wisdom from Above, which is a phrase from chapter 3. And James is full of practical wisdom for living life in God's world Um, that is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And a lot of this wisdom that we've seen as we've gone through this has to do with the life of the church, has to do with our interactions with one another. our love for one another, and particularly the, the the ways that we are, that we tend to sin against one another, that disrupt the the fellowship and unity, and love of the church. And so we've talked about favoritism, showing favoritism or partiality. Uh, we've talked about slander or using our words to tear down others. And uh, we've talked a little bit about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Uh, these things that are always present, always. Um, there if we aren't careful and that usually cause a lot more harm in the church than we realize. And God calls us and equips us and motivates us to fight against these things and to love one another with a, very, with a different kind of love um, that is against our, natu- that our sin nature uh, that is empowered by his spirit. And so today, James calls us to consider one additional way that we can love one another And that is by having integrity in our words, um, showing trustworthiness, faithfulness in our words, in our commitments, being a reliable, trustworthy person. Letting our words mean something. Okay, so that's kind of the big idea that we're aiming at here. Again, we have just one verse to cover, unpack, James 5.12. So let me read that and then we'll unpack it and apply it. James writes, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under a condemnation. Let me read it one more time. Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Um, so a little bit of context here. Um, for most of history, there was a widespread belief a that there was a god, and b that this god was uh, had a sense of weightiness, sacredness, awesomeness to him. And so w- people would often invoke God's name to give extra weight or credibility to what they said, right? And so when making a promise, people would often swear by or on God's name or something associated with God, like the temple. If you go to the Old Testament, you see that this is something that God cares about. God has something to say about this tendency, this habit, and you find this in various laws in the Old Testament. So, for example, Leviticus 19.12, God tells his people, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. In other words, to bring in God and God's name to show the seriousness of your words, the seriousness of your promise, and then to break that promise is to dishonor the name of God. God's name is not to be used lightly, flippantly. It's not to be used to try to manipulate others to trust you. And this is certainly something we still do today that people still do today, right? Perhaps not in the same way, but there are ways that we bring in God's name or we use our identity as a Christian or our spirituality or, or whatever to cause others to trust us more or to, to believe us or even to justify our sinful behavior. And so we, we spew out a bunch in our words about God and our commitment to him and, and belonging to him, but then by our actions... Um, call that into question and mar his image. But there's another aspect to this, another principle here uh, that we see in a lot of other Old Testament verses, and that is whether you use God's name or not, so whether you bring God into the equation or not, we ought to be people of our word. God's people ought to be those who demonstrate faithfulness and truthfulness. So, Numbers 32, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So, God calls his people to be truthful, to be trustworthy, to be reliable, to show integrity in what they say and how they act and what they commit to. To be, to be reliable and trustworthy. Well, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus picks up on this teaching and actually takes the principle even further. And in this passage in Matthew 5, uh, we see James is clearly drawing on this passage. James basically summarizes in a shorter way this passage from Jesus. So, Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old... You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. In other words, again, Jesus says to be Truthful and trustworthy enough not to need to rely on making oaths. Let your person, your character, your words and actions demonstrate integrity and truthfulness and faithfulness such that people believe what you say. Or at least they put a lot of weight into it. That your words have value and Weight to them. You you don't tend to pile up words to get people to believe you. You don't tend to um, always have to be making convincing arguments to for people to take you seriously. They they learn over time that you mean what you say, you are faithful to your words, that you are reliable. And so the big idea here is not just a negative prohibition: don't don't swear, don't make oaths. More than that, it's about It's a a positive command. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Show faithfulness to your word. Faithfulness in your dealings with others. Establish yourself as a trustworthy person, not just by throwing around God's name or throwing around the name Christian, but by your words and actions. And one of the reasons this matters so much is because... This is how God is to us, right? God calls us to demonstrate integrity in our words and our commitments and our actions because he does the same thing to us. He willingly commits to us in the first place and then shows faithfulness to that commitment. So think about this a little bit, just about God's character, in this. Numbers 23:19, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So God always keeps his word. He's not finicky, non-committal, carried about by emotions, just going with the flow, double-minded, unstable. He keeps his word. And this is perhaps much more significant than we realize. Uh, this is the basis, really, for all any amount of stability, hope, and comfort on our part, that we can trust God. I mean, can you imagine if God were untrustworthy, if, if he didn't keep his word, if he just said things and then went back on them, and you never knew who God was or what he would be like? That would lead to chaos in our world more than there is chaos in our world. There would be no no source of stability. Additionally, God goes out of his way in the first place to make commitments, right? God willingly enters into and binds himself to his people with joy. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have this promise. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, I will never cast out. Jesus commits himself to everyone that would come to him in true faith and repentance. Eternally commits himself to us. Um, first, uh, Peter talks about his great and precious promises. God has made... I don't, no, the number, but hundreds of promises to and for us that we may hold on to. And he tells us things about his word to, to assure us that he will not go back on his promises. He is not like man, as we said, that he should lie or that he should change his mind. And so before we consider our call to be faithful and to show integrity in our words, we have to consider at least briefly, and remember and reflect on that this is how God is to us, right? The whole of the Christian life, all that we have been given, all that we are called to, is rooted in who God is and what he's done for us first, is rooted in his character. God is abundantly good and gracious and faithful to us, and this is the the basis of our identity, of our hope, and this is the motivation for us to love and worship Him and then love others as well. And so every week we, we come back and we just consider, no matter what our text is, we, we remember who God is and what He's done for us in many ways, in song, in confession, in, in looking at the Word. Um, we are not here simply to just get a pep talk about being better people, we are here to remember who we are in Christ and what God has done for us and live lives flowing out of that. So with that, let's then consider how this command applies to our lives. Um, And at first glance, perhaps when we first read this, um, you're like, I don't, we don't really swear in this way. We don't say a lot of oaths. You know, there are a couple like legal situations where you have to say an oath, but in our day-to-day lives, um, what sort of, what relevance does this, this have to us? But I think as you understand the principle underlying this, as we've looked at it, there are some very clear implications. So we'll look at three of those today. First, we love others by being faithful to our words. We love others by being faithful to our words. This is let, our, let your yes be yes. Uh, and this command is really just an outworking, a fleshing out of love your, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Um, we can use our words to either love people or to manipulate and control people. How so? Well, one way that we use our words to manipulate people is through empty promises. We, We say things, we'll tell people we'll be there, we tell them we'll get back to them, we say we'll pray for them, and then we don't do it. And we tend to do these things because we want people to think well of us, at least in the moment. We tend to fear others, fear man, more than we fear God. And so we don't want to hurt them or let them down, and so we make promises that we either don't intend to keep at all or that we, if we thought about it, we, realize, we would realize we are very unlikely to keep. And so we, we hurt people through this. Another way we use our words to manipulate people is through ex- exaggeration. So either we make th- something sing, seem better than it actually is to to get people on our side, to try to win people's favor or pleasure, get a commitment. Or sometimes we make things look worse than they actually are to get sympathy and and support. Either way, we are being dishonest in order to try to control people for our own ends. And what Jesus says is, be trustworthy and reliable in what you say. Make your words count Demonstrate the truthfulness and faithfulness that God has given to us in what you say. A second application. We love others by not overcommitting in the first place. And this is one application of letting your no be no. So if we are going to be faithful to what we say and to our words and promises and commitments, it means we have to say no to some things. In other words, it requires us to recognize our limits and weaknesses, right? We can't be everything to everyone. We can't please everyone. We can't be the hero or savior of every situation. We can't be best friends with everyone. Showing integrity in our words means that we don't Use our words to please people, but then not fulfill them. We fear God more than man. We accept our limitations, and then we seek wisdom when making our commitments, when setting priorities and decisions, and, and then we trust God with what's left. And it doesn't take long living this life to realize that there's always a lot left that you cannot control or even influence and have to trust God with. And so in the life of the church, right, like we are called to sacrifice much. We are called to give of ourselves for others, to bear one another's burdens, to love as Christ has loved us, which is a sacrificial, serving kind of love. We're called to gather together, rejoice, and mourn together. But as you do this, you quickly realize that you have limits in this. There are needs that you can't meet. There are situations that you can't really get involved in. There are people that you can't love as deeply as you would like, relationships you just can't give to as much as you would like, or perhaps not like. But this is not an excuse to do nothing, but as an opportunity to trust in God when you find yourself at your limits. Find your weaknesses. When we discover that there is more that, we are, that needs to happen that is good and right, but we cannot do it, it is an opportunity to trust God. And part of that is trusting God to work through the rest of the, the church. Now, perhaps you are someone who has an, no problem saying no. People-pleasing is not your battle. third application. We love others by willingly making commitments, by willingly binding ourselves to others. Perhaps we might think that we are off the hook for this command because we never commit to anything, or we are always just pushing commitments and decisions down the road, further off, further off, because we have a hard time setting things in stone. Well, this is not displaying the faithfulness and love and commitment-making of our God to us. This is like trying to obey God's command to love one another by never putting ourselves in situations where that love would actually be tested and tried and proved. The point isn't to arrange our lives so that we never have to be faithful to our commitments or faithful to others. The point is that we actually learn faithfulness. If we never make a commitment, we may technically never break a commitment, but it is almost guaranteed we won't really be loving people very well. And for many in our day and age, I think this is perhaps the bigger issue. We tend to want to be free to make decisions on the go, on the fly, in the moment, based on how we're feeling, to just go with the flow, We wanna be free from expectations and schedules and perhaps regular habits. And it's easy for us to read a passage like this, do not swear by any oath, and think that we've found justification for being noncommittal. But again, it is an act of love to willingly enter into commitments to other people, to willingly bind ourselves to others. That's exactly the context we need to learn and display faithfulness and love. Yes, we need to be aware of our limits, we need to be able to say no, we need to not commit to too much, but we also should be willing to commit to many things to the point of stretching us, to the point of sacrificing, to the point of rearranging our lives at times. And of course we understand this when it comes to things like marriage and parenting. You you see a kind of love from parents to children and between husband and wife that is um, admirable at times. And it's admirable because there is this commitment undergirding it that causes it to push through, causes people to push through even when things are hard. Now, will we at times have to break commitments? Yes. Yes. And this connects back to what Hans covered a couple weeks ago in back a chapter in James. In chapter 4, I'll just read a few verses as this dovetails well with what we're looking at. In chapter 4, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So in our life and our planning and our commitments, we need to acknowledge that ultimately God is sovereign over all things. We don't control our own life. We can't even make the hair on our head black or white. We are dependent on him. And so we should uh, say, but probably more often just have the attitude, if the Lord wills, We will do this or that, whatever we commit to. Ultimately, it's in God's hands. So even in our saying yes and no, which we should do, we need to have a sort of humility that ultimately everything rests in God's hands and our plans, despite our full intention to commit, keep to them, could be thwarted. So to sum this all up, make commitments to others. It is loving to do so. Keep commitments as best as you can, even if it requires great sacrifice. But humbly acknowledge that all of this is done under God's sovereign hand and could be thrown out of the window. Not because we are unfaithful, but because God is in control. And if this last year hasn't shown you that, it must have been an unusual year for you. Now, to apply this a little bit more specifically, one of the commitments to which God calls all believers to is a local body of believers. The the New Testament is full of commands about um, commands which really only can be done by committing to regular fellowship with a specific body of believers. So, for example, we're told to bear one another's burdens, to love one another with brotherly affection, to encourage one another and build one another up. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. Now, are we supposed to have this sort of deep abiding relationship with every Christian in the world? That's not realistic. Should we have this sort of relationship and commitment with every Christian we come into contact with? Perhaps to some degree. We are united to believers, all believers through the blood of Christ and called to love them. But a local church body gives us the needed context and definition to live out these commands. Here is a specific group of people that we engage with regularly who know us, who we know, and with whom we can mutually have this context for fleshing out what it looks like to be faithful, to love, to, to speak truth, to encourage and build up, and so on. Without ever defining who the one another's are, without actually having a specific group of people putting faces on these people, it's really easy to just come and go, to, take, to be consumers, to just take what benefits us, and then to eject whenever things get hard or uncomfortable which is much easier for sure, which sounds very attractive. But as we've seen, making commitments and keeping commitments is a way that we show show faithfulness and love to others as God has shown to us. And so this is why we do a, a Roots 101 course which many of you have been through um, and we just talk about. We make it very clear, like, here's what it means to be a Christian, here's what it means to belong to a church. This is why we practice church membership. We take the biblical picture of of a church, the commitments that the Bible calls us to show to one another within the church, and we simply confess our intention to do this to this specific group of people, to love these people, to serve these people to mourn with and rejoice with and build up these people. Will we fail at this? Yes, of course. Is there grace for our failures? Of course, there is no other way to live. But God's grace doesn't deter us from the good things that God calls us to. Rather, it ought to motivate us towards. And the thing is, none of this should seem odd or out of the question when we consider who God is and what he's done for us. God takes the initiative to come to us. God willingly enters into great and precious promises and commitments with us. God, from before time began, initiated a a grand plan, a grand story, where He moved towards us, where He came into this world and suffered and died for us, where He sent His Spirit to open our eyes and draw us to Himself, and where He gave us these promises and committed to all who would come to Him. Our hope is not in our willingness to come to God, but in His willingness to come to us and commit to us. We can credit nothing in ourselves for our position with God. And so our call is to receive His merciful, sacrificing, pursuing, commitment-making faithfulness day by day, and rest in it and rejoice in it, and then extend it to others. Our call is to, to seek to show Faithfulness to our words, yes, by knowing our limits and weaknesses and and saying no, but also by willingly making sacrifices and committing to one another in love. And I hope and pray that you give thanks to God that He has given you these people in which to live this out. Not that it's always easy. You don't choose every single person that you come to fellowship with. You don't choose who walks through the doors of this church and who commits to being here. But God is at work, and God is building and bringing together His church, and he, it is clear what He has called us to. It is for our good, for the good of others, And for his glory. Let's pray.